Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. Please welcome your hosts, Patrick Allen and Matt Verderam. Welcome in. It's the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. Patrick Allen joined once again by Matt Verderam. He's back from San Francisco. Matt Connor filled in for you last week, so it was another Matt, different kind of conversation. Uh, but good to have you back, Verderam. How was how was your final vacation, like big vacation of the year? Good, good. Uh, good to be out in San Francisco. Beautiful city. It feels like another country. The way you know all the all the um, geography of it, and topography of it, and um, it was great. I mean, we I went out with my wife. We we went out to Alcatraz, uh, Mirror Woods. I I checked a couple of baseball stadiums I had never been to off my list, and uh, went to Sausalito, went to Sonoma. So we really got a, quite a bit in there in seven days. Um, it was. It was a good time, but now I'm, I'm glad to be back. I, I cannot believe my guy. It's August 26th. We are yep. two and a half weeks away from the regular season. Well, actually two weeks from the opening game, the Cowboys and the Buccaneers, two and a half weeks from the Chiefs and the Browns. And uh, I know it's football season because, A, uh, the radio uh, spots are picking up considerably, and, B, I keep getting emails about, like, hey, would you like to gamble? Like, would you like to, yep. you like yeah. to put some money on uh, week one or some futures or so? I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> When that stuff starts happening, I start getting those emails. You know, you're getting close. Uh, yeah, Matt Connor and I joked that you know, you, we, I think we knew you, we knew you were at Alcatraz, and I was like, I hope they let him out. You know, that'd be <laughs> bad news. They finally get this guy behind bars where he belongs. Uh, no, nah, I'm glad you had a good trip. It's good to have you back. Uh, lots been going on. Um, one thing I wanted to just I wanted to touch on really quickly before we get into to the meat of the podcast here. If you haven't had a chance to read it yet. Please head over to fansided.com and check out Cameron Black's essay, yes. Uh, yes. part of the Fansided Voices series. Uh, it's called Blind Passion, Loving a Sport You Can't Even See. I, I'm sure a lot of you are, are familiar with Cameron. He's He's been involved with the Chiefs for a while now. There, there have been some stories done on him by the Chiefs, I think perhaps even NFL Network. He, uh, he he's, a, he's one of our Chiefs fans out there. He was born blind, and he's just got a really incredible story about how he moved. He, he grew up in Oklahoma. His family's big, you know, big Sooners fans, and his dad especially. Um, but he kind of grew up in a, in a different way, not being able to see kind of playing video games, sitting really close to the TV and, and just not really connecting with, with football because it was just something he couldn't really experience. And, and 
there have been stories done about how he, he moved to Kansas City and he, he kind of hooked up with Mitch Holthus and he heard Mitch calling the games and it really helped him see the game of football and continue to learn the game of football and, and learn to love the Kansas City community. But he's never really told his story in his own words. It's been produced stuff. And you know, we were we were chatting with him and, and we thought it would be really cool to kind of hear directly from him his his full story. You know, when they do one of those TV segments, they don't. You, you got a time limit, right? You can't really go too deep. Uh, and, the, and the segments that have been produced on him are terrific. But this piece, I got to tell you, man, you know, I got to help edit it. Uh, a bunch of us at fansided.com did, worked on it. Um, and w- what really just stuck out to me was the the importance of family, which for me is what really the heart of the story is about, is Cameron's dad taking the time to teach him football and emailing back and forth with him and saying like, this is what these plays look like. And, and, and Cameron keeping a binder. It's just an absolutely fantastic story. I can't recommend it enough. It was a great story. I read it. Um, the day came out. I can't remember if that was Tuesday or Monday. Um, but it was fantastic. And you're right. I think, you know, the, the interesting part for me was, oh, well, there's a lot of interesting parts, but one of the most interesting storylines of it was just it. He didn't care about football as a kid. It wasn't like he, you know, was a was a fan from from a really early age. He wasn't. He really wasn't a fan of, of football at all until until he moved to Kansas City and then felt like it was just kind of important to become, you know, at least somewhat aware of the Chiefs, considering how important they are to the city, and then fell in love with the team. Um, no, it's amazing. And to think that you could you can love something you can't really see is is really powerful um, on more than one level. So. Uh, it was a great story. I'm really proud that we did it. I'm, I'm proud of Cam for writing it. Uh, Ian Levy, who edited it, uh, really deserves a lot of credit. He did a great job with it. And it it really shined. In fact, you know, look, we have this new vertical that we've been doing here over the last month or two, uh, the fan-sided voices, which is really, it, it's really, really good. Um, and I'm, like, I'm not just shilling for the company because I work for fan-sided. Like, believe me, if I didn't think it was good, I just wouldn't say that. I, I would just say, say nothing. I think it's really, really good. And it's really well done. And this is the latest piece in that series. And it's a must read. Yeah. And, and one more thing that stood out to me that I really like is that fandom is some people might look at it. Oh, I'm a, I'm a big Chiefs fan. It's, you know, and I watch all the games and I, you know, people store things. They have a whole room dedicated to Chiefs memorabilia or sports memorabilia. And I think there are some people out there who roll their eyes at that a little bit, especially as people get older, they might think, oh, that's like a kid's thing, being really, really into sports and wearing jerseys and caring. And when when you read a story like this, and you and I are, are perfect, I think, examples of this as well. You know, I, I have the role that I had, like I, my whole career is because of the Kansas City Chiefs. It was I got into this because I love football and I love the Kansas City Chiefs and yeah. big sportsmen. And I know it's been the same thing for you. And it's changed our lives. You know, the, your love of the Kansas City Chiefs and, and getting into sports and then working for Fansided and moving to Chicago and, and meeting your wife and having your daughter like those things don't happen without your love of the Kansas City Chiefs. Maybe maybe not exactly the way they have. No. Well, look, I mean, you know, I'm sure most people who follow this podcast are at least reasonably familiar, but I. I started my career, even though at the time it didn't feel like a start of a career. It was just kind of an outlet to, to express my feelings on the Chiefs. I, w- I was posting as a fan, like just a as, as a fan, uh, fan post over at Arrowhead Pride on the SB Nation site. And then um, Joel Thorman, who you, of course, know as well, um, great guy who, who ran that site for many, many years and now runs our entire NFL division, um, 
reached out and was like, Hey, would you like to write on the front page? And you know, at the time wasn't even for money in any way. One thing led to another. I did that for, for years, eventually got paid for it. And then, yeah, I mean, came to the fan sided and, and got a full-time role and, and God knows, look, if I'm writing about the Vikings, like, am I getting that full-time role? I don't know. I mean, you wouldn't have known who the hell I was. I doubt Zach and Adam best would have, but because everybody at fan side who started the company were chief fans, it worked out. And of course, you know, as everyone knows, I'm sure can tell by my voice, I am not from Kansas City. I am I'm from New York. And the only reason I, I am a Chiefs fan is my dad, who grew up in New Jersey, first football game he watched was Super Bowl four. And all of his friends in school were saying the Vikings were going to crush the Chiefs because they're in the NFL and the Chiefs in the AFL. And my dad just wanted to be contrarian. And he said, I think the Chiefs are going to win. I'm rooting for the Chiefs. So he watched the game basically, you know, to know if he was going to get mocked the next day at school as a nine-year-old. The Chiefs won. He fell in love with them. He stuck with them. And when I was born, I was born into it. But I mean, I think about that a lot. Like what happens if the Vikings win that game? You know, right. my life's yeah. totally different. My daughter doesn't exist. I'm not married to my wife. All those things are different. All because of one game in January of 1970. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible. And that's what this whole company that we work for, Fansided, is about. It's about celebrating fandom and what makes it special. And there's a lot of, you know, there can be some ugliness in fandom, just like there can be in, in any other area of life. But uh, I think it's great to be passionate about something and, and for it to have meaning to you and, and to create memories for you that some of the memories that we've had as as Chiefs fans, you and I have gone to games together. It's really yep. great. And and to see a guy like Cameron pick up on a on a on a prayer when you read this story, he he had an an offer to interview for some jobs in Kansas City. Yeah. He didn't have a job. He picked up his family. His wife, I think, was pregnant at the time. They moved to Kansas City. He didn't have a job. And and went on a, went on a prayer and and not only found a, a successful career to help support his family but also a community and, and and I think that that's something and when you read some of the images that are in this story there's one that really struck me of of Cameron just sitting alone in his room while his dad his mother would make all this food for the Oklahoma Sooners games yeah. and she'd put out this incredible spread and his dad would be out there you know 3 inches from the TV himself screaming staring uh, at the TV and and Cameron would be in his room playing video games alone and that just that image just really struck me about a young boy like who's 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 got some challenges and and then where he is now in the fandom being part of that it's just a remarkable story people i i bribed some folks on twitter to uh, send someone a patrick mahomes jersey to get people to, to to read this and share it and over 900 chiefs fans shared this uh story including patrick mahomes mother randy mahomes she she oh. shared the she shared the story it was just awesome it was great to see and the comments that people left on it were really special as well you know it was it was great and i think you know I know from just talking to people that cover the league, you know, just colleagues, whatever, beat writers, people who are national, cover the league. Um, there always seems to be this like pervasive mindset, not for everyone, for sure, but for a lot of people that like once you start covering the league, you're not a fan of the game anymore. It's just your job. And you have to kind of move away from all that. And I've never understood that. And, no, and I don't ever. I'll tell you right now, the day I feel that way is the day I will do something else with my life. I've never understood that. I can cover the league and be unbiased in my coverage and my reporting, but still be a Chiefs fan. Like, I don't understand. Like, look, if you don't believe that, go back and look at what I wrote in the Chiefs acquired Frank Clark. Like, I, I, you know, thought at the time, you know, if you remember, it wasn't about the player. He was a good player. But the, the reason I, I really kind of got on the Chiefs was 
you know, he has some, some past issues. Okay. Um, and, and from his time at the university of Michigan, he was dismissed from the team over it. And that was, I believe within 48 hours of everything coming out at the time, you know, and there of course ended up being no charges uh, pressed, but with Tyree kill. And there was a lot of confusion as to what went on. There were allegations with him and, 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 you know, involving his three-year-old son. And I got on it. Jesus said, geez, you know, this is kind of a, <laughs> a little bit of a poor timing and B like, you know, depending on what happens with Tyree kill, this is a big risk and blah, blah, blah. Now from a football standpoint, of course it worked out, you know, they, they Whatever charges got dropped, or charges were brought with Hill rather, and, and they won the Super Bowl. My point is, like, you can do your job, in my opinion, covering this league and still being a fan of a team. Like, I, I will never apologize for the fact that I root for the Chiefs. I do. But at the same point, you know, I, I'm, I'm never going to let that influence the way I report on the league. And I think, you know, it, it was just so much fun for me to read that story and just read somebody's just unbridled enthusiasm to be a fan and to care and to just love their team. Because that's a point. Right. Like, I, I mean, if you're watching the game, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a fan, if you're an analyst, you're a blogger, you're a reporter, like whatever. You're at some point you started watching football because you love football. And in Cam's case, like he couldn't even watch football. He doesn't listen to football, but he fell in love with it for the same reason all the rest of us did because it's a great game and it's community. And it, like, I think that's the most underrated part of being a fan. You know, we think about the gains, we think about the outcomes, and sure, listen, look, it's a hell of a lot more fun to be a fan of 15, it's 14 and 2 than 2 and 14. But we fall in love with the game because of the community that we have. Like, I love football because I get to share it with my dad. I get to share it with my friends. You know, we talk about the game, you and I, all the time, every time, you know, where they win or they lose. If I didn't have that, I don't know that I would really care about football because it would just be this unshared, uh, you know, passion. I mean, I'd still, I'd still watch, but I don't know that I'd care as much. You know, what happens when you're at Arrowhead and they score a touchdown? You turn around and high-five everybody. You, it's right. a shared thing. And I think that's great. And I thought Cam beautifully put that into, into words. And uh, it really, if you haven't read it, it's, a, it's just a phenomenal piece. Yeah, check it out. It's on fansided.com. You can find it on my Twitter as well. Um, and let's uh, let's move on. Let's get into something totally different here. It's Manscaped. Manscaped sponsors the show, as you all know, and they have released the Lawnmower 4.0. It's now available in the USA and Canada. Uh, you guys got to get your hands on this thing and join the over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. That includes myself. That includes Vertorim. That includes Sterling Holmes and Matt Connor. We've all got the product. We all use it. We all love it. And you can get 20% off. Use the code fansided20 that's fansided20 at manscaped.com you're going to get 20 percent off and free shipping you've heard these ads a lot i don't need to sing the praises of manscaped anymore to you but i can tell you it's it, look man training camp so uh, training camp is over we're going into the season and you got to be ready for game day so make sure you get your manscaped right. and take care of your man bits and keep things clean down there all right manscaped.com fansided20 20% off free shipping. Let's talk some football. Now, we're going to talk about our roster predictions here in just a second. But before we get to that, Vertoram, I just saw this just came across my desk, and I, I thought we should talk about it because it's going to have a big impact on the season. So Ryan Tannehill from the Titans, he just got added to the reserve COVID list per sources from Adam Schefter, and he's now going to miss anywhere from 5 to 10 days. 
We're far enough out from the season, shouldn't be a problem for him. But we have an issue here. And and I think that the issue is a little bit different this year than it was last year. Obviously, it was bad last year, right? But I think we're in this sort of weird limbo because we've got the vaccine now and a lot of people are vaccinated. And that definitely is helping people from from getting the getting sick and getting seriously sick. But on the other side of things, a lot of places have opened back up because of the vaccine. Now you throw in the Delta variant, which is very contagious and, and, and is breaking through to even some vaccinated people. And so whereas last year, everybody was super like everything was locked down. You weren't going anywhere. You were really trying to, to keep these outbreaks from happening. Now you could have a vaccinated teammate who's going out to dinner and gets right. gets gets the Delta variant and breaks through. And they're maybe not very sick, but they give it to Patrick Mahomes, who's also vaccinated. And now it's the season. And Patrick Mahomes is going to miss a game. Well, what, what, what is it going to be like bad as we get into the season? So, or are teams well, going to try to keep their players locked down? Well, no, I don't think they can. I mean, they may, they may, you know, provide the you know the thought of hey, you know, you need to be cautious, but there's no there's no lockdown in place, and there's not going to be. Uh, I don't think. Look, I, this isn't. This is probably going to sound like a PSA, but it's not meant to. It, it, it all ties into the NFL. So look, I keep seeing people. Just people, random people on Twitter, other places, people I've even had just face-to-face conversations with who will say, well, I'm not getting vaccinated because I can still spread it even if I get vaccinated. That is true. You can get vaccinated. Now, I, I'm vaccinated. I could go out. I could spread it, right? I could get it. I could be a breakthrough case. I could spread the, 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 the disease that is, or the virus. That's true. However, I am far less likely to spread the disease because I'm vaccinated. It is much harder for me to get COVID-19 even the Delta variant, because I already have both shots. I don't have immunity, but I, I have antibodies that are much more built up. Now, why does that matter in the NFL? It matters in the NFL because if you have a team that's 95, 96, 97% vaccinated, okay, and the Chiefs are over 95%, if you have that, even if someone who's vaccinated has a, a breakthrough case, that person is far less likely to spread it to someone who's vaccinated. If you're unvaccinated, yeah, you're probably going to get it. You know, it, it, you know, or always, I shouldn't say you're probably going to get it. You're, you're much more likely to get it. You're much more at risk to get it. And the way the NFL protocols are set up. So let's say player X gets COVID. Okay. Doesn't matter whether vaccinated or unvaccinated, they get COVID. Player Y is vaccinated. Player Y, unless they test positive or show COVID symptoms, they do not have to miss any time as a close contact. If player Z is unvaccinated, they will miss time because they're just a close contact. So being vaccinated as an NFL player right now is an enormous competitive advantage. And we're seeing that play out right now in Buffalo, by the way. Cole Beasley has been tweeting out a storm this morning about how he doesn't understand why masks are a big deal and he doesn't understand why he's got to be sent home. And Sean McDermott, as we're doing this podcast, our head coach, is talking and he's saying without saying that he's basically sick and tired of this. And I'm telling you right now, there are going to be games this season that teams are going to play shorthanded because guys who are unvaccinated have to miss these games. Even if they don't have COVID, even if they don't show any symptoms, they have to miss because it's a close contact. And let me tell you something right now. I'm talking to a lot of people around the league about this. Nobody thinks the NFL is going to move games, reschedule games, even for a day, 
to save these teams from themselves. If you get COVID, that's your problem at this point. If you, especially if you're unvaccinated, I, the NFL is not going to wait around. Last year there was no vaccine, there was no recourse. Teams did the best they could. This year there is a recourse. Now Ryan Tannehill is vaccinated, so he's a breakthrough case. But here's the difference. Now Schefter put out five to ten days, but my understanding of this is, and Tom Palacero put out the same. The second the Tannehill has back-to-back days with negative tests, he comes back right away. Right. Right away. That is not the case if you're unvaccinated. So the Chiefs, having been, been as vaccinated as they are, is a huge advantage. Now, we don't know everybody who is. We know Mahomes is. We know Kelsey is. I, I'm not going to sit here and litigate which guys are and aren't. I don't know that. I do know those two are. They've been public about it. But it's, it's a huge advantage. It absolutely is. Because if, 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 if a vaccinated player tests positive – or has symptoms on a Tuesday, well, if they test negative on Friday and Saturday, they can play. If you're unvaccinated, you can't play. You're home. You're missing the game, regardless of who you are. I mean, it may cost Cam Newton his starting job in New England. Right. Now, now, you know, because of that miscommunication, as New England termed it, and what's going on there. And Newton's a guy who, had, who went through COVID last year, if you remember, missed a game against Kansas City. So it is, look. It is a huge competitive disadvantage. You're gonna, I, I am willing to bet you're going to see some guys get cut here in the next week or so. You're going to go, wow, that guy got cut? Yeah, he did because he's unvaccinated and these teams are not going to take the chance. They're not going to cut guys who are incredibly important to them, like Kirk Cousins or the Vikings, somebody like that. There are going to be guys who you're going to go, wow, I can't believe they cut that guy. He's a pretty good player. Yeah, they cut him. And guess what? That guy is not getting picked up anytime soon because a lot of teams from talking to agents around the league are, are telling these guys, look, we're not picking your guy up if he's unvaccinated because we got to bring him in our building. Right. And it makes it a lot harder to bring that guy into the building because you've got to wait a certain amount of time, make sure he doesn't have COVID, make sure he doesn't get COVID on the way in. A lot of teams aren't willing to risk that. Just something to keep in mind. Do you think Cole Beasley gets cut over this? I I don't. He's, he's coming off of an all-pro season. But I'll tell you, I think it's going to cause a division in that locker room. I do. I think it's going to be a major problem. And they've already had, I mean, Jerry Hughes and he went back and forth on Twitter not that long ago about this. Because you're going to have guys, now don't forget too, the NFL has already come out and said, hey, look, if we if we have to cancel a game, nobody's getting paid. You know how pissed off you'd be? If you were, like, think about you, right? Think about, okay, you work in a place that says to you, if any of your coworkers get sick and we have to shut down the office for a week, none of you get paid. And you were vaccinated. You went through the whole process and you've done everything you can. And Jim Bob in the corner gets COVID and you have to go home and you got a mortgage to pay and you got bills to pay and you don't get paid for a week because he just decided, nope, it might make me magnetic. I'm not getting vaccinated. I'll tell you right now, you'd be pretty pissed. And there are a lot of guys in that room who have bonuses tied to whether or not teams make the playoffs. That stuff matters, man. Like, guys are going to be livid if they've got to miss time because, you know, in this case, if we're going to go down this road. Hey, look, Cole Beasley, whatever, he gets it. He gives it to somebody who's vaccinated. But now, you know what? They showed a positive test on a Friday. They have to miss this week's game. Well, maybe it costs them an incentive bonus. Maybe, you know what? They're trying to get to 10 sacks. They end the year with nine. And they're going, well, that, that, SOB cost me that game. What if I had a sack in that game? That was a million dollars for me. Like, this is high stakes. These guys really care. I don't think he's going to get cut, but I'll tell you right now, there are going to be a lot of players, and there are a lot of players in that room, I'm sure, who are not happy 
with the way that's gone down. Yeah, what if he gives it to Josh Allen on a Friday? And then you lose right. a game, right? Because, like, and of course, you know, I know before you all start blowing up our Twitter, we know vaccinated people can get it. We know vaccinated people can spread it. But, you know, read about it. It's a hell of a lot more likely for the unvaccinated people. They're the ones who get hospitalized, all these other things. I, I think just, and not to get too preachy here, but I, I'm a hell of a lot more scared of COVID than I am a vaccine. I know there are risks associated with injecting anything into your body, but I'm a hell of a lot more scared of getting COVID than I am about getting a vaccine, which I've gotten. And, uh, you know, I'm fine. So yeah. I don't want Patrick Mahomes to get COVID. I don't want the Chiefs to lose games over, over a shot. It's just, it's madness. But let's move on. Um, but it's going to be a storyline. So you're going to have to hear us talk about it, unfortunately, because this thing ain't going away anytime soon, it looks like, because not enough people are, uh, are doing their part. So let's talk about this roster and who's going to make the roster. Now, this isn't, this isn't the Romeo Cronell, Todd Haley, Herm Edward, Edwards days where, you know, uh, all the guys were off the street. You know, Verderam and I had that were on the roster bubble back then. Uh, okay. This is a much this is a, <laughs> this is a Super Bowl team, and these guys are they're fighting for just a handful of spots. I I went through. I figure there's probably about five spots up for grabs, and I would say there's maybe twelve to fifteen guys fighting for those five spots. Um, it's it's rough. So. I'm not going to go through all the players I think are, are are going to make the team. I think you know who they are. But I actually think most of these up-for-grabs spots are on the offensive side of the football. I think on defense, they're they're pretty well solid. So I'm going to, I'm going to read you my roster bubble, guys, and, and, and I want you to tell me your reaction. So on defense, my roster bubble guys are Armani Watts, Bo Pete Keys, Chris Lamonts, maybe Devon Key, but I don't think so. I think... Based on intel you have, I think maybe he makes the team. He gets a spot over Armani Watts. Is there anybody else on defense you think is a roster bubble guy that might not make it? You know, I think their defense, I think he will make it. I think he will be their, their fourth safety. Although, look, in the, in the game against the Niners, he struggled. But if he's good on teams, I think he'll make the roster from what I understand. Ah. Uh, Bo P. Keys is interesting because, you know, normally I would say, look, you're going to keep four safeties. You're probably going to keep six corners. You could go five and five because the Chiefs have some flexibility with Matthew. But I don't know that they have five guys. You'd be yeah, they got to make the roster at safety. Um, I think I think Keys. I'm, I'm trying to just do the math, man. You got you got Hughes, Ward, Baker, Sneed, Sneed Baker and Fenton. Fenton. Yeah, I think he gets the last spot. I think he think gets he's the last not, spot. Yeah. I don't think it's a guarantee, but I think he's, I think he's got the last spot. I, I do have to say I'm really going to be sad that DiCaprio Boodle's not going to make the team. Great Yeah, name. that is a name and a half, but the man's not going to make it. <laughs> he's not going to make it. Um, then I think that this is probably the end of the road for Watts. And, you know, look, I'll just throw him in there. This is what I think you're looking at. De- you've definitely locked in for, for defense. Chris Jones, Okafor, Kando, Reed. Wharton, Nandi, Nadi, uh, Saunders, Clark. I think Dana's there. Gay, Bolton, O'Daniel, uh, Hitchens, Neiman. You could see maybe maybe O'Daniel gets cut, but I don't. I think he's in there. Uh, Sneed, Fenton, Baker, Hughes, 
Sorensen, Thornhill, Matthew, and Key. So, right. you know, you could swap right. out like a, a, a Armani Watts, Bo, Key, Bo Pete Keys, something like that, if they, if they want to keep six corners. Uh, he's been around. They obviously like something there. But so that's on defense. Not, not a lot of like controversy there, right? Like a couple of these guys are interchangeable. Was there anybody that I named that, that I think is a lock that you're, you think you could, we could be a surprise cut? No, I think all those guys are on the team. I, I don't. I don't think any of those guys are are missing. Um, I'd, I'd be pretty surprised. I, I think. I think that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good bet. I, I don't think any of those guys strike me as somebody who I'm like. Yeah, no, that they're not making it. I, I think they'll all make it. On the offensive side of the ball, I think it's a lot more dicey because of the. I think you've got you've got some packs that have been created, and obviously with all the additions to the offensive line, you have a right. pack of guys in, in the sort of backup offensive line spots, and then you have a pack of guys in the in the receiver spots. So my locks for the offense are Tyree Kill, Byron Pringle, Orlando Brown. I think Remmers is a lock as your swing tackle. Yes, he is. Uh, yeah. Tooney, Creed Humphrey. Austin Blythe, we'll talk about him in a minute. He's he's gotten a, a sports hernia surgery, but I think they want him on the team as, ba- as yep. the backup center. Yeah, he's Trace, guy can back up. Yeah, Trey Smith, Lucas Nyang, Kelsey, Blake Bell, Noah Gray. I think McCole Hartman's going to make the team. Mahomes, Henny, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Daryl Williams. I think Jet McKinnon makes the team because he could play special teams as well. Yep. And Michael Burton, your fullback. I think those are your locks. The, the my my roster bubble guys. Are Allegretti, yep. Laurent Duvernay Tardif, Andrew Wiley, and I'm yep. throwing them on there. I think Demarcus Robinson's on the bubble. Ooh. I think I think I think Kemp's on the bubble. Yasser Kemp's Durant, the uh, Jody Fortson, Cornell Powell, and Darius Fountain, and Darwin Thompson. Those are my bubble guys on offense. And I think maybe you know between those guys, you're looking at maybe three to three to four spots probably. If, if you think one of those guys we mentioned earlier is going to make the team on defense, you know, if you're going to end up with, with roughly 25, I mean, that's, that's why it's a 53 man roster, right? It's 20, it's 25 guys for offense, roughly 25 guys for defense yeah. and your kicker, your punter and your long snapper. So right. for me, the interesting one here obviously is Demarcus Robinson. And I think it's because like, I, I think a lot of people have him in as a lock because he's been around, he knows the offense, he's he's fast, right? All those things. I think we need to remember, this guy was on the market. The Chiefs did not re-sign him. True. He was on the market. Nobody else re-signed. Right, right. Nobody else re-signed him. And then they brought him back for the veterans minimum. So it's not like the Chiefs were like, we got to have Demarcus Robinson back. It's key to our success in the future. And Correct. and if you're looking at if, if if you're if you're the Chiefs and you're like man, if 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 Dave and Dave Tobe just the other day was going off about Demarcus Robinson driving him crazy on special teams as a returner, and we also know that they like Mike Hughes as a returner, they think he might be able to help out in the return game. So he's been right. back there, right? So if you're Demarcus Robinson, you're a former fifth round pick, you, the team wasn't keen to re-sign you, you're making the veterans minimum. I don't think you're safe, especially if you're out of the picture on special teams. And if you're looking at if you're looking at special teams, guys, if I'm Dave Tobe, we know he loves Marcus Kemp, yep. right? So, so a lot of people think Marcus Kemp is a lock because he's going to be playing special teams. And then they drafted Cornell Powell, and then you got 
Darius Fountain go, going out there. And remember, Darius Fountain, people don't know this. He was a fifth round pick with the Colts. He had some, he had a little, you know, he came from a smaller school, had some injuries. But like when people are like, well, Cornell Powell is definitely going to make it because he was a draft pick. I mean, Demarcus Robinson, Marcus Kemp's undrafted, Cornell Powell, Darius Fountain, fifth round pick, fifth round pick, fifth round pick. Like the Chiefs are going to take the best player in this situation. So let's talk about those those four on the receiver side. What are your th- what are your thoughts? Who makes the team? So look, so I have. I was sitting here. Maybe people could hear me if they could. I'm sorry. I was just I was typing it out. Just wanted to make sure I wasn't missing anybody. Um, so here here's my projected 53 man roster. So I think the Chiefs look at quarterback. I think it's pretty easy. They'll have Mahomes, Henny, Buscelli, or Buscelli. I always say Buscelli. Buscelli. Who, by the way. You think he makes the team? I feel like he's a bubble guy. If they need a spot, they put him on the practice squad. You know what? He's looked think, good. I, I, I'll tell you what, man. I don't think he's going to get through waivers. Because you know, for anyone who's not familiar, yeah. the way it works is if you're going to put him through a practice squad, like any other team could put him on their on their 53-man roster. You can't just stash guys like that. Like They could put him on the roster. I don't, I don't think he's going to survive. Have you seen him in, in preseason games? Yeah, he's looked like, very I, good. I, he like you know I gotta be fair. My dad actually pointed this out, and it was, it was spot on. Like you know, my eyes kind of glaze over during the preseason. By the time you get to like the fourth quarter, because it just it, it is what it is. And most of those guys, let's face it, especially for a really good team like Kansas City, they're just not gonna make the team. But he made a point. He's like, you know, normally you see these guys come in, they're kind of noodle arm. They don't have a lot of you know zip on their ball. Bouchelle has been like rifling the football all over the field. Now I'm not saying he's yeah. been perfect. He had a bad pick against Arizona, or whatever. But like he's been. He's been gunning it, like, like to the point where you're like, all right, look, that kid is obviously like, he's not taking Mahomes' job anytime soon, but there's something there. That kid is pretty talented. So that's going to be my one surprise. I think they're going to keep three, and they may not. I'm kind of – it's a little bit of a bold prediction, but I'm going to go that route. Um, at running back, and the edwards Alaire, obviously. McKinnon, I agree, he'll make the team. Burton will make the team as a fullback. My – Interesting thing at running back is it Darwin, Darwin Williams versus Daryl Williams or Darwin Thompson or Darrell uh, Williams. Dar- I am going to yeah. go with Williams. I'm going to go with Williams. The concussion does that hurt him? I don't know, but you know they gave him a lot more time last year than they did Darwin Thompson. It tells me they trust him more. So I'm going that route. A tight end, I'm keeping three: Kelsey Gray and Jody Fortson. Like as as Tobe was mentioning, how much Demarcus Robinson drives him nuts. He said nobody has been more important than on special teams, or nobody's made a bigger leap on special teams than Jody Fortson. That is, to me, the final thing I need to hear. He's making that roster. Yeah. Because when you get to the back end, Tobe's got a lot of influence on who's making the team. Who do you want on teams, man? Who's going to be on your return teams? Who's going to be on your coverage teams? And Fortson's been impressive. I, I think he's going to make it. Um, at receiver, I got six guys. Hill Hardman, Pringle Robinson. I do think Robinson will make it. Powell, and then I've got Kemp. I know you could go with Fountain. I get it. You could go some other ways. I think Fountain makes the practice squad. I think they keep him. Um, I think they will be able to. But I know they just Kemp's been a special team. They trust Kemp. I'm going to go that route. And then at offensive line, look, five starters. Obviously, they're all going to make it. Blythe, I believe, will make it. Remmers will definitely make it. And then after that, it gets a little interesting. I have Long and Allegretti. That's my, you know, and you could certainly say Wiley over Allegretti. Allegretti's a little younger. Long they brought in. They really liked him before he, before he suffered the, the lower leg injury. Um, but can I they PUP all, him? 
Can they PUP him and then he doesn't take up a roster spot? Yes, yes, they could. He'd have to miss the first six games, but they could do yeah. that. Um, but he might because be if they put him on IR, he has to make the team. Yes, right. So, yeah. So I, I let me read. Actually, let me read this to everybody real quick because I think it's really helpful um, when we're trying to figure this out. Because if they want to try to stash guys for a little bit because they're hurt, you got Blythe with the hernia thing. He had surgery. Kyle Long apparently had surgery with a, like a knee issue. An unlimited number of players can, and this goes back to COVID, an unlimited number of players can return from the team's injured reserve list, and they are eligible after missing a minimum of only three games. After three weeks, the player becomes eligible to return to practice, and then he returns to practice. He has 21 days to be back on the active roster. Previously, a team only had two IR designations that could be used in season for a player who was required to miss a minimum of eight weeks. Only players on the 53-player roster after September 1st are eligible to be designated to return from IR or the non-football injury list. So the Chiefs have to make their cuts on August 30th. So that means they could PUP somebody, and they won't take a roster spot, but they can't come back until after six weeks. But if they want to put somebody on IR, they've got to leave them on the roster till after September 1st. And then they can put them on IR and bring somebody back. But that exposes those people to waivers. So there's a lot for the Chiefs to figure out. So sorry to interrupt you, but I just I thought that would help set the table for the no, discussion. That's, that's, no, that's well done. It, it's very important. Um, so you you have, I think that's going to be your offense. Like the special teamers are obvious, you know, Townsend, Bucker, and Winchester. Defensively, safeties, Matthew Thornhill, Sorensen, and Key. Uh, key is the, you know, could it be Watts? Yes. Could it be key? Yes. I'll go with key. I know how high the Chiefs have been on him. Corner, I already said uh, my six, Hughes, Keys, Ward, Fenton, Sneed, and Baker. And by the way, just give me one time, one time next year where Keys and Key combine to make an interception. That would um, be great. I'm all for it. Um, linebacker. I actually think linebacker is really interesting. Now, look, you know you're going to have Gay and Hitchens and Bolton and Neiman. And I'm sure everybody's really excited Ben Neiman's making the team. Um, <laughs> The fit, I got one more linebacker on there. I'm going to go Dorian O'Daniel. And, you know, he's done nothing really as a defensive player, but he's been good on special teams. So it could be Harris. It could go a bunch of different ways. I'm going to go to O'Daniel. And then man, the defensive line is deep. Like, I can't remember a deeper defensive line than what the Chiefs yeah. have this year. I, it, it's really ridiculous. Is. I mean, they have guys coming out of their ears. They just cut Taco Charlton. Like, right. Jones, I got 10 guys making it. Jones, Clark, Reed, Naughty, Saunders, Wharton, Kindo, Ward, Dana, and Oakford. Yeah. It's, I, I it's think, super I, I deep. Think they all it's can great. play. Yeah. Like, I think they cut Taco guy. Charlton as a favor, frankly. Yeah. Like they because yeah, they cut him, absolutely. people were people were trashed him on Twitter, like, oh, he couldn't even make, you know, he's in this first round of cuts. And I, I think they were like, look, man, you know. You're not going to your talent. You're your talented player. You're not going to make the team. Will give you more time to, to catch on. No question. No question. Yeah. So I, I mean, it's very interesting. But they, they are so deep. They, I really believe. Like you, you're looking at this thing going. I mean, they're, they're going to easily have two full rotations of guys. I mean, you're going to have your top set of guys when you need to get a play where it's Clark and it's Jones on the outside. And it, which by the way, my God, Chris Jones, I, yeah. I was looking this up yesterday because people, like I said, I've been getting these gambling emails and I really don't gamble, but I, I just, I like to see the odds. And I went on and I looked 
And Chris Jones is 50 to one to be the defensive player of the year. I got to tell you, if you're a betting man, maybe not the worst 20 bucks you've ever thrown down. Like, really isn't. He looks unbelievable, like even by his standards. Like to the point that like it's almost comical sometimes how fast he beats guys. Um, but anyway, look, Jones and Clark, Naughty and and, and Reed on the inside. But after that, you could put Dana and Okafor out there, or Tim Ward, and you could have Saunders in there, and you could and you can have um, you can have uh, what's oh man, I'm blanking on the one tackle who's been great, Wharton, Wharton, who's been fantastic this preseason. Right. I mean. That's a lot of guys, man. Like, if that's your second unit, do a hell of a lot worse than that. So I would expect that – and and this reminds me so much. I remember as a kid in high school and early years of college watching the Giants with Spagnuolo as their coordinator, and they were like that, where they were so deep on their defensive line, they would just rotate waves of guys. And it it, it just – it by the the fourth quarter – they would just be breaking into the pocket. It felt like on almost every play because the, the offensive line would be so gassed and the defensive line, they played half the snaps. You know, they'd just be rotating these guys. I wonder with the Chiefs how much that comes into play this year. Where you get to a fourth quarter of a game and they're just destroying the opposition's offensive line because they're fresh and they're not beat up. And, they're you know, hell, you get to December and you've taken, you know, maybe 60% of the snaps – and, you know, compared to an offensive line, he's got 100 and he's beat up and he's tired and what I mean, that I think that's going to bode really well for them. And by, don't forget last year, you and I, Pat, we sat here a lot and talked about their pass rush and the lack of it last season right. and how they've got to blitz a lot and they've got to manufacture pressure. I got to tell you, I don't think that's going to be a problem this year. I don't think that's they're going to be having it. Now, they'll blitz because Spagnuolo just likes to blitz, but they're not going to blitz out of necessity. They're going to blitz out of, out of strategic opportunity. All right, let's take a quick break. And on the other side, we will continue talking about the defense. And if they've got a full, you know, with the addition of, don't sleep on the addition of Mike Hughes, and then they love DeAndre Baker. They're, yes. If everyone stays healthy, they're, they're pretty, you know, Juan Thornhill made a ridiculous interception in that preseason game. Absolutely incredible. They're deep in the back end too, and that could cause some big problems. I don't think we really got through the offensive line. So... They got the, the bubble guys, like, I feel like, I, I think LDT has, like, a broken hand. So, for me, and, and I think they want to keep Kyle Long, too, but I think they might try to, because these guys maybe aren't ready, they might try to stash a couple of them for a while so they can bring them back. LDT's yeah. got a contract. I think Allegretti is, he's versatile, good like, backup guard. But do you think, could you see, is this the end of the line for an Andrew Wiley? Is it Could the end be. of the line for LDT? What about Yasser Durant and, and Prince Tiga Wanongho, who, who they reportedly like as well? I, there just might not be room for these guys. No, I mean, at some point, look, you run into a problem of just numbers, right? I mean, at some point, you've just got to decide, hey, who, who's going to make the team? Um, and, and I think, you know, yeah, look, like a guy like Yasser Durant, like there's some potential there. But do I think he's going to make the team? No. I mean, who's he making it over? Um, you know, and I, I've been all – all offseason, I've been saying I think Laurent Duvernay Tardif is on the bubble at best. Like, he didn't play last year, and, and for a great reason. I mean, just an absolutely phenomenal reason. But he didn't play. And, you know, look, the Super Bowl year, he was he was average that season. Like, I, I don't – and he's not going to start. Like, that's the other thing. Are you going to pay a backup that much to just be a backup? Now, look, they're not like they're going to save a ton of cap space, okay? If you go over to Over the Cap, which is actually a really, really good website, I'd encourage anybody to check it out. You can see 
you know, all the cap hits and all the numbers and everything else. And what they, you know, what kind of cap relief a team gets if they move a guy by trade or by cut or whatever. And with Laurent Duvernay Tardif, okay, so right now for this year, his cap number is 4.75 million. All right. Which is the ninth highest on the team. His cap number this year is higher than Joe Tooney's. Okay. Which is kind of funny. Um, if the Chiefs were to trade Duvernay Tardif, they save two million bucks. He said, well, $2 million, who cares? I got to tell you, $2 million, that might be a good chunk of change to sign a guy who gets cut out. You know, maybe you know, we're sitting here and you and I haven't talked about it really much. They might need another receiver. That might become something that is an issue here, right. um, depending on what you think of Hardman, certainly Robinson. What if a guy gets cut? The, the Chiefs go, man, you know, he'd be a hell of a pickup. Well, that $2 million might go a long way. And if you trade him for even a seventh round pick, you're saving two million bucks. Now, conversely, if the Chiefs were just to go ahead and say, "Okay, we're going to cut him, we're going to cut him," you you eat all the money, you eat all of it. You don't get a you don't get a dime. Now, let me actually correct myself. If they if they trade him, they actually save two point seven five million. They eat two million. They they save two point seven five. If they cut him, they don't save a dime. So if you're the Chiefs, cutting him doesn't really help you. I mean, maybe you do it as a favor so he can go start somewhere. But trading him helps you. Like even if you get some conditional pick or you swap picks and you move up ten spots in the seventh round, whatever. Like if you're the Chiefs, it's worth getting the money. So I think he's in a tough spot. I really do. I don't. I don't know that if you're the Chiefs, you're willing to keep him around for what? He's not going to play unless you have injuries. He's not taking Trey Smith's spot. You know, so it's something to consider. Right. And if you if you've got an Allegretti who you like who can be a swing guard for you, and you put Kyle Long on the pup because you think he can bring a good veteran presence to the team, come back, yep. be a really solid or maybe excellent backup, depending when we haven't seen him play in a long time, and then he got hurt. So maybe they just cut bait with him and say, that. but like, why not? If he's not ready to play, if he's not going to be ready to play anytime soon, and you know you're going with, well, we thought when they signed him, he was going to be starting, and then you got Trey Smith. If you're feeling good about Trey Smith, yeah, throw Kyle along on PUP, give him more time. He's an older guy, like give him more time to recover. Bring him back midseason, and if and Matt Connor wrote about this on Arrowhead Attic the other day that there's a lot of teams out there that need offensive line help, and the Chiefs have now a deep line with these guys aren't great, they're not starters, but like right, that you know you you could put a you could put a guy like Allegretti or a Wiley like you could put them in a in a solid line and have them start and they could hold up all right as long as the players around them are pretty good. Maybe the Chiefs do trade. Some of these guys, instead of cutting them, they open up room. They pick up some later round picks, and you know those fifth round picks. A lot of people roll their eyes at them. Look at some of these fifth round picks on the Chiefs. Uh, there's opportunities there in the draft, no doubt. And and hey, you know what? Look, those fifth round picks more often than not are not going to pan out. But I got to tell you, like Tyreek Hill is a fifth round pick. You don't know when you're going to draft the next Tyreek Hill. You don't know when you're going to draft Travis Kelsey with a third round pick. You know, people always like try to crap on these. Like, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. Look. I can tell you right now, there's a lot of gems in the league who feel like fifth, sixth, seventh round picks are just kind of a waste of time. And, you know, you're throwing darts at a board. And that's true. I mean, I've literally had GM say it to me. Like, well, you know, listen, you're just you're throwing darts at that juncture. And that that look, is, is true to an extent. But you want to have as many – like, if you're trying to hit a bullseye, how many darts you want to have in your hand? Two or ten? I'd rather right. have ten. Yep. You know, like, I'll take my chances with ten. You might be able to do it in two, but I'd rather have ten. So if you're the Chiefs – and you can get a seventh round pick for Laurent Duvernay Tardif, even if that guy turns into a special teamer. Fine. That's better than having a backup guard. You're paying four and a half million 
right? Like, I'll take that. So, hell, maybe you can trade Laurent Duvernay Tardif to a team that it really is in desperate need of a guard, and you can get a receiver. Not a number two receiver. I'm not saying you're going to do that, but maybe get some guy who can help out. Um, all those things matter. They all play into it. They all help. And I think for the Chiefs, look, if you're not going to play Laurent Duvernay Tardif, then why keep him, right? Like, it's yeah. not like his play is so much better than Al Grady or Wiley, in my opinion, that you just can't do it. Um, and you have Kyle Long. Like, you have Blythe, who, who could, I'm sure, play guard in a pinch if you need him to. Like, I, you know, the, the Chiefs, it's amazing. This offensive line is so incredibly different than what we saw last year. I mean, it's five new starters. Like, I don't know. You'd have to go back. When is the last time a team started five new starters on the offensive line? It, it's it's got to be a long time. That's yeah. a lot. <laughs> That's listen, two or three new offensive linemen. That's a pretty big amount of turnover. All five, and three of them are rookies. I mean, that is that is a, a huge vote of confidence in these kids. But I tell you, you know, you watch the game, and obviously, I'm, you know, we've watched these games. They're playing against Arizona, and their offensive line was destroying Arizona. Like, they destroying were destroying them. I yeah. mean, and you watch some of the film. You know, guys who tweet out a lot of stuff. Our buddy Jeff Schwartz does it. He does a great job. And Brandon Thorne, who's a must-follow on Twitter, he tweets a lot of it out. Seth Kaiser, who, who works with The Athletic, tweets a lot of little videos out and does a great job. Um, and there's just plenty of others as well. But, man, you watch those videos, especially when they're folks on the offensive line. If you have the ability to go back and watch the All-22 film, do that as well. Like There are plays where Tooney's just – getting on a reach block and taking his guy out, which is the hardest block in football. And then Hump, uh, Creed Humphrey is taking his guy and, and shedding him and getting to the second level and taking on a linebacker and taking him out. And then Trey Smith is turning a guy and walling him off and the Yang's pancaking a secondary play. And you're like, if they do this consistently, they're going to win every game they play. I mean, obviously, I'm like not literally go 17 but they're going to just destroy teams. If they have that ability up front, good night. They will be almost unstoppable offensively, considering all the talent that they have around that line. Yeah, it's going to be very exciting to see it all play out and, and maybe a big year for Clyde edwards Lair. I want to talk real quick about Jarius Fountain. There's always somebody who shows out in preseason, but there's, I don't know. There's just, this guy's caught on with Chiefs fans. He's, he's, he's looked really good in the preseason. Do you have any thoughts on him and, could you see him displacing a, a Demarcus Robinson, a, a Cornell Powell, just because you know that's you, you invested a fifth round pick and Cornell Powell? I know he's a, l- a little bit younger, but the guy looks like he he maybe has something. You know, it, it's tough, right? I mean, I, I don't, I don't think Demarcus Robinson should be cut because he knows the offense, and while he does drive you nuts sometimes. And it apparently also drives Dave Tobe nuts. Like, the Chiefs aren't in a position to cut good football players. And I get it. Like, he's frustrating at times. He definitely is. But Demarcus Robinson's a good football player. He's he's not great. He's never going to be a number one. Or, you know, I don't even think a number two in this league. He kind of is what he is. But the last couple of years, you know, he's, he's had about, you know, 460 yards a season, four, four touchdowns a year. Like, that's a useful player. If he got cut, he would be signed immediately. So – if I'm the Chiefs, the guy that I want to see them, you know, look, Fountain's been really interesting, and, and we've talked about it. But yeah, but look, I want to see more out of Pringle. Like, I want to see him more on the field because he doesn't make mistakes. 
He doesn't drop the ball. He doesn't run wrong routes. Now, he's not the most dynamic guy in the world, but I got to tell you, like he's, he does his job. And there's a lot to be said for that. Like, I don't care that he's not a burner. I don't care that he's, I don't care that he's not the biggest guy in the world. I don't care. You know, I remember as a kid, it always amazed me. Like Ricky Prohl was slow and, and was small. And Ricky Prohl was a really good receiver because he ran great routes and he caught everything. What, like Byron Pringle might be that kind of guy for them. I, I, would, I would give him more of a look than anybody else out of these young receivers. Not, not, not to say I'd put him on the field more than Hardman. I wouldn't. But I'm talking of the other, like the unproven guys. I would give him the biggest run. A, he's been on the team a couple of years at this point. And B, every role that they've put him in, he succeeded in. Now, maybe giving him, you know, 70 targets is a bit excessive. I'm not, but like, if I'm the Chiefs early in the year, especially if they're in games where they, they're kind of blowing somebody out, I'd give him a look. And, if, and, if, and I'd also ask Mahomes, hey, look, how confident do you feel in this kid? How, how do you feel about putting him on the field for 40 snaps in the game? Would you do it? And if Mahomes is like, yeah, I trust him, then yeah, I'd put him on the field, right? Like I'd almost leave it up to Mahomes in a lot of ways. But I think, look, their receivers to me are, you're going to have Hill, you're going to have Hardman. Powell, I'd be shocked if he doesn't make the team in some capacity. And then you're going to have Robinson, I think. Those other spots, like, you know, and Pringle will make the team. But like, even Powell, like does Powell make it? I don't know. Is he a practice squad guy? I've heard nothing yeah. about Powell. That doesn't mean he's nothing good. I'm just saying I haven't heard anything about him. One way or the other. I haven't heard Hayes looked like crap. I haven't heard Hayes been great. I haven't heard anything. Um, which I think isn't- Mahomes called him a beast in camp. Like there's some big good decent reports coming out of him in camp, but in the preseason games, what everybody has been focused on has been Fountain. And a lot of people are comparing him to Dwayne Bowe, that he plays with a little bit of physicality, and that's somebody that that's something that the Chiefs don't really have, you know, outside of like their tight ends. Um, and it's just interesting to me. I, I think he's really interesting. Maybe he doesn't end up making the team, but um, it's they, they mentioned him on the broadcast. And, you know, when they mentioned him on the broadcast of the last preseason game, you know that that's because the, the, the broadcasters get a chance to interview the coaches really quickly, ask, you know, get some storylines. And he's one of the guys, they specifically said, you know, look, look out for Jody Fortson and look out for Darice Fountain. So he's caught the eye of the Kansas City Chiefs coaching staff as well. It's, it's going to be interesting, probably a long shot, but, uh, he, I think he tweeted out just the other day, like, just give me one, just give me one season Lord, something like that, you know? Um, and you kind of, you just want to pull for guys like that. And if he doesn't catch on with the chiefs, I hope he catches on some somewhere, hopefully not anywhere in the AFC, but he, he has flash and maybe he gets a chance here in this last preseason game uh, to, to get one more shot and, and just leave a, a memorable uh, impression on the, on the coaching staff before they have to make these tough decisions. It's going to be next Tuesday is cut down day. Yep. So the, okay, uh, the, what do they call him? The Turk, the Turk is coming. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. Oh man, I can't imagine having to be in that that sort of situation where you're just like waiting, waiting, waiting to see if you're going to get a knock on your door or that phone call. Um, pretty, pretty brutal. What do you think the Chiefs should do going into this last preseason game with the starters? I think we heard they're going to play a quarter or a half or something. Half. I think I saw that on Twitter. Do you think Andy Mahomes should be out half. there? I, I personally, I wouldn't. 
but Andy's going to play him a half. I got to be honest. You know, I wouldn't because I'm I'm a nervous Nelly with that stuff. Like I wouldn't risk it. But it's hard to argue with Reed when all they do is win every September game they ever play. So, like, all right. I mean, you know, I I will say this: if if they blow down the field and score a touchdown on their first drive, if, I would not be shocked if Andy's like, okay, we're good. Like, I I could, I could see a scenario here where you know their starting offense hasn't scored a touchdown yet. So I could see a scenario where if they just go down and they score, he's like, okay, we're, we're, we're ready. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to push this any further than I have to. Their offensive line. Yeah. Like, the, the reason to me you play the, the starters in preseason is if you have a situation like the Chiefs do with their old line where you're trying to get a lot of guys to gel, their offensive line looks phenomenal. Like, I, I don't know how much more they need to gel. They've been picking up stuns and picking up twists and getting a second level, like, I'm Chiefs, I feel pretty good about it. You know, I I don't personally care what the results of the preseason games are. It's cool they're two and zero. That's fine. But like, do I really, would I care if they were on two? No, no. I mean, this is all about getting to Cleveland. Well, getting to play Cleveland at Arrowhead. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I I think in the end, like that's all that counts, right? And their schedule at the beginning is tough. I mean, Cleveland, Baltimore out of the gate. Get the Chargers week three. The Bills week five. Get the Eagles as a nice break week four. But like, it's going to be hard. They got to come out firing. I don't know if you saw this, but you see the Browns guy talking some crap before this game. No, no, who was it? Oh, I'm pulling it up right now. It was a DB. Um, it was, it was a DB who had something. Was it Ward? Let me see. It was a Browns. Uh, no, let's see. I'm pulling it up right now. It was not Ward. No, it was. Uh, let's see here. It was John John Johnson, who uh, is a free agent safety who came over from the Rams, who did not play in that game last year, because on the Rams, says uh, this game's going to have a vindictive vibe, which, I mean, fair enough, it should for them, right? So it says, quote, and this is per, per uh, 92.3, the fan, quote, that's the last one from last year. It's going to be the first one from this year. So there's definitely a little, it's a vindictive vibe, you know? We definitely want to get back at those guys, but you know, I always want to win the opener regardless of who it is. So that's what we've got to go out there and do. Now to be completely fair, look, it's not exactly like some unbelievable amount of smack talk, but Hey, you know what? John Johnson's thrown out there. Yeah. Look, there's some vindictiveness here. They knocked us out. And of course, again, he wasn't on the team, but he's on the team now. Knocked us out. We got to get him back. We got to, we got to make sure we, we rectify that. Now, I think they're the chiefs. You got to be ready to take on all comers. Like you are the two time defending AFC champ. You're the NFL's glamour team. Like, remember all those years we all hated the Patriots? Because it was always like, oh, yeah. everybody loves me. Like, I mean, everybody hated the Patriots, but like the NFL loves the Patriots. The NFL loves the Chiefs. The Chiefs yeah. are the darlings of the NFL. They they're on prime time all the time. Like, hey, guess who's calling the Chiefs game week one? Nance and Romo. Like, of course they are. Those two ought to get a condo in Kansas City because they're gonna be there ten times this year. You know, <laughs> right. Like, and that was always the case with Foxborough, right? Like you always knew as a kid growing up, and I'm sure you'll say the same, as a kid growing up, if Madden and Summerall were doing a game, you knew it was a big game. Yeah. That's the way it was. Like if Fox, if you turned on Fox and those two guys were doing the Dallas San Francisco game, like it was the game. Well, guess what? With Kansas City, who's always doing their games now? Nance and Romo, Michaels and Collinsworth, right? Like Buck and Aikman, if it's an NFC game or Thursday night game. You're not getting, with all due respect, like you're not getting like Andrew Catalan and, and, and company doing like who are like the 15 for CBS. Now he's fine announcer, yeah. but you're not getting him anymore, right? Like, and they, the Chiefs got him a lot in like the earlier part of the decade. You're not, 
you're not getting that now because if you're the Chiefs, you're getting the number one billing. for. I mean, even look at their schedule. The first game of the year, it's an arrowhead. You think it'd be a noon kick, right? Nope. 325. Right. It's going to be in a national window. Like, it's not a primetime game, but it is a primetime game. And yeah. that game against the Browns, look, I, I'll tell you, and we can get more into this another day. I know we're running up against it here. Their first five weeks, take the Eagles game out. Because first of all, they, they win that game by 30 points. And second of all, it's an NFC opponent. There are other four games, the Browns, the Ravens, the Chargers at home, and the Bills. In fact, they're all at home except for the Ravens game. If the Chiefs come out and they win all those games, and I guess it's a tall order, but if they do it, unless they get hurt, they're going to be the one seed. I mean, first of all, that's the hardest part of the schedule. Second of all, they'd have tiebreakers on all these teams. Yeah. Like, And the Chargers wouldn't have the tiebreak, but you'd at least assure yourself that you'd have you know, a, a one-to-one at worst out of the head-to-head. And then like, they play the Titans as well. Yes, I think right? Yeah, right. Week five, yeah. We they play them uh, week seven. Week seven. They play yeah. week. They play Washington, then they play Tennessee. But no, that's all. That's a good point, right? Like Kansas City's back half of the schedule, at least on paper, looks much easier than the than the front half. But Kansas City always comes out on fire to begin the year. Reed always has a bunch of plays nobody's ever seen. If they take care of business at home in those games, which let's be real, those are hard games, but they should win those games. As hard as those games are for the Chiefs, they're harder for Cleveland and the Chargers and the Bills. That's just the way it is. Yeah. And if you win those games and you beat Baltimore, who they've, they've just pantsed on a, on a routine basis at this point, you win those games, you're sitting there at 5-0 and going, okay, well, even if those other teams are winning, they all have losses against us. We have a game and a half lead at this point, and the Chiefs are still going to have two against the Raiders and two against the Broncos, and they're going to have Dallas at home later in the year. And they're going to have Cincinnati, and they're going to have Pittsburgh at home. And my God, they're going to have the Giants on a Monday night. Do you know what they're going to do to the Giants on a Monday night at Arrowhead? <laughs> I mean, if you have yep. the Giants, you're like, we couldn't have played that game at noon. You know, yeah. like, you're getting them under the lot. So, look, I think the Chiefs, if they come out and they start really hot, I think there's a chance they go 14-3, and 15-2. And if they do that, and they win all those games of tiebreakers, nobody's catching them. They're going to be the one seed again. So, those games coming out of the gate are so important. They win them, they're in phenomenal shape. Yeah, I remember last year, uh, the, the, remember the, the opener, the Houston Texans revenge game? Remember how that yeah. went? It did not so, go off for Houston. It was, yeah. was the same thing. These guys are going to be so mad if they're blowing that lead. It doesn't. Look, these guys don't really need any extra motivation. You don't want to give it to them. The Browns, are, they're going to feel like they were close, as they should. Yeah. You know, we could have gotten to the AFC Championship game. We could have beaten Buffalo. We could have made the Super Bowl. We, you know, we just we were right there. We lost to chip. But like, let's be honest. And I and I and I cheer for the Browns. It was not that close. Mahomes doesn't get hurt. They they were they were fixing to put a whooping on them, and it would have gone. I think the the very similar to the way that the Bills game went, which was by you know by the time you got into the, the second half, like it was the Chiefs were just would have, were going to pull away. So, you know, Mahomes being out, like the Browns are a good football team. I'm not trying to crap on them, but like, I wasn't like watching that game being like, oh God, I'm really nervous. We're going to lose to these guys. At, at no point with Mahomes in that game, were they ever in danger of even remotely coming close to losing that game? That game, that, frankly, that game was bordering on like a murder scene before he got hurt. So right. uh, I would not, and that was a game too, if you remember, that was a weird game where Matthew had that pick to start the half and Butker missed a field goal and then it kind of got weird, but. Look, if you're looking, here's here's the one reason I think the Browns are going to have a hard time with Kansas City. The Brown, Now, 
I'll say this. I think the Browns offensively are very good. In fact, I'll tell you, that's going to be one hell of a match. If their offensive line against Kansas City's defensive line, that is going to be trench warfare to the hilt from a football standpoint. I mean, that is going to be a great battle in the trenches. Um, but the problem, I always say this with the Chiefs, and obviously Tampa Bay, unfortunately, proved this out to be very true and, and tried and true. If you can get pressure on Mahomes, you, like you can do on any quarterback, like that's your way to win against a great quarterback. It always has been. It, that's how the Giants beat Brady the other pass on the field. They hit the hell out of him. Well, the, the inverse is also true. If you can't get pressure on those guys, I don't care who's in your secondary, you're getting killed. You're getting torched. And you look at the Browns' front. Like, I think they've gotten better this year as a whole. You know, they, they went out and they, they added John Johnson, who we talked about. They added Greg Newsom as a, as a first-round pick. They added Jeremiah owuso Karoma, who's a second-round pick, um, and a linebacker who's, who's looking like a pretty good player. But here's the issue I have. Even with that, those draft picks, here, here right now are their projected starting seven um, you know, for week one. Miles Garrett, who's great. Okay, he's easily the biggest problem she's going to have to worry about. Malik Jackson, who at this point is okay, but kind of a guy. Andrew Billings, who is a guy. Jadavion Clowney, who despite being maybe the most hyped player ever, has routinely been good, not great, never had double-digit sacks. Like, I'm not overly worried about Jadavion Clowney. And then three linebackers who you've probably never heard of in your life. Anthony Walker, Mac Wilson, and Sion Takataki. I don't know that the Chiefs are shaking in their boots against that front seven. And if you can't get to him, it's over. It's like if the Chiefs just double Garrett, I'm pretty confident they'll be able to block the Browns. And with all due respect, like, look, I, I love Denzel Ward. He's great. Troy Hill comes in. He's a good player. They've got Grant Delpit coming back. He was a rookie second round pick last year. He tore his ACL. Now he's back. But man, like, you'll get the rest of that roster up front, and you're like, yeah, they're not going to hit him. And if they don't hit him, the Chiefs are going to score 40 points if they have to. Yeah, and and they like they did a lot of work on their defense. But, you know, keep in mind, the Chiefs were up 19-3 to at the half in that playoff game, yes. right? They had a 10-play, 75-yard drive in the first quarter. They had a 7-play, 75-yard drive in the second quarter that ended uh, in a touchdown. They had a 13-play, 53-yard drive that ended in a field goal, um, and they and they had a nine-play, 70-yard drive to end the half that also ended in a field goal. So they were rolling then, pretty good. Yeah, they were moving the football on the Browns. The Browns couldn't stop them. And then they had, by the way, in the third quarter, an 11-play, 60-yard drive um, that also ended in a field goal. So the Chiefs just weren't punching it in in the red zone. But do you know what's going to be different this year? The offensive line. In the short yardage yeah. game, in the running game, another year for Clyde Edwards-Helaire, and I think that's going to be the biggest thing. The Chiefs had to get so creative last year on on fourth and short and third and short, and they and threw a lot of passes. Power. They can just run. They can run behind these guys now, yeah. and it's going to change. I, I think you're going to see their red zone percentage, touchdown percentage, go way up this season. I think you're going to see a lot of touchdowns for Clyde Edwards-Helaire, which is great because I've got him on a couple of my fantasy teams, and I think that's just going to give teams fits because the, that's 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 what you got to do against the Chiefs is just try to get get down into the when, once they get you down on the red zone, you're not going to stop them between the twenties. So you get no. down in the red zone and like pray you can make them settle for three. You have to get and, pressure, yeah. and you have to win situational football. And yep. it's very, very hard to do. It's proven over the years. The Bucks did it in the Super Bowl famously, but I mean, it's hard. It's incredibly hard. That's why they win almost every game they play. That said, 
you should probably wrap it up. A, we've been over an hour, and B, I have 5% left on my computer, and this bad boy's going to die in a second. <laughs> we got to go. You're going to have to wait for my, my review of the uh, Wendy's bourbon bacon burger that I had last night. I had the double. Uh, it was delicious. I will say that. Um, all right. So we will see you next week. I think we're going to be doing this on YouTube. But keep an eye on this feed. I may drop a little update between next week and this week. Um, but some exciting stuff interview. coming. Yeah, and we're going to have a very fun interview. We'll, we'll uh, leave that up to mystery, I think, for, for right now, just to make sure it gets locked in. Do you want to leave it up for mystery? Do you want to tell them I will who it's going to be? It is uh, a very... Yeah, no, you know, what the hell? Everybody listen this far, they deserve it. We are going to yeah. have uh, we're gonna have Mitchell Schwartz on. So yeah. reached out to him. He was nice enough. He's going to come on Stack in the Box. And we're going to play the audio here as well. There's going to be a lot of Chief stuff. So that's my cross-promotion. Look, if you want to hear it on Tuesday... Go subscribe to Stack in the Box. You'll hear it on Tuesday. And it's going to be played here as well. So not saying you can't. Listen, you're going to hear it in both places. But we're going to do the interview. Mitch is being a great dude coming on, talking the season, talking Chiefs, talking his experiences. So it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. And Matt's computer is going, de- going to go dead. So <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. And uh, as always, go Chiefs. We'll see you next week. You sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.